Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly first afternoon of the season after we've won a game thing to you. And the same to you, Andrew. Goodly <laughs> afternoon indeed. Nice to be able to say that. It is, isn't it? It is. It's. I've, I've felt good all weekend. You know, Friday night can be one of those tricky games where if it if it goes wrong, your weekend is pretty much in the toilet straight away but mm -hmm. you win you can relax then on saturday you can relax on sunday you can hope and pray that all the other teams have a a terrible time unfortunately uh, that didn't happen um some of them had a, a good time and i hate that but for the most part you know it makes for a nice a nice weekend and when you consider let's say the first arscast extra of last season compared to to this one I think this is going to be a bit more upbeat. That's fair to say. I also think it's worth, sort of, for context, thinking back to how, you know, you, the listener, might have felt when those fixtures were announced and the opening night was Friday yeah. night away from home at Crystal Palace. I think we probably all felt a sense of dread about that, given yeah. our experiences last season and given you know, the defeat at Sohas Park in the spring. So to come away with a win, and a clean sheet, three points, some goals. Oh, we're a hell of a lot better off than we were this time last year. That's for sure. That is for sure. And uh, yeah, it was it was enjoyable in its way. There were things, obviously, that I uh, obviously will discuss now that we could have done better, uh, but still uh, quite a few positives to take away from the performance. And you know, first and foremost, though, you know, to get a win. I think you're right. There was that you know that sense of fatalism when the fixtures were announced. It was like, oh, they're doing us again on Friday night. Oh, mm -hmm. Neville and Carragher are gonna fucking have their tap dancing shoes on you know when when palace win they'll put on their fucking tuxedos and do a morkum and wise routine tippity tapping dancing up and down the sidelines with the palace fans we can all see it and you know by the end of the game the arsenal fans were so comfortable with the scoreline after that second goal went in that they just sort of turned their attention to serenading patrick vieira from uh, from the stands which was which was really nice i enjoyed that aspect of it i'm sure patrick vieira didn't uh, as much as we did but uh, nice to show him uh, the affection and everything else but nice to be in that kind of position where where you can do things like that yeah definitely I mean and to be fair to Vieira like he's kind of had Arsenal's number to a certain extent since he arrived at Palace they got the 2-2 draw at the Emirates didn't they where we were very reliant on a, a late late equaliser then they beat us in the reverse fixture so uh, he's shown that he knows how mm. to set up a team against Mikel Arteta's Arsenal more than many managers in this league Nice to be able to give him a little salute. I think only probably we all felt comfortable to do that once that second <laughs> goal went in. But yeah, I, I think this was a a better result than a performance, probably. Mm -hmm. um, 
but it's a really good result. And I think when you look back at Palace's form last season, I think they took 10 points uh, off, you know, the top six sides at home, which is pretty decent. And I think it's one of the tougher away trips in this league. So um, they'll be very, very satisfied with that, especially when you look ahead and, you know, the fixture list after after this game with Palace mm. out of the way looks relatively kind. So there is kind of optimism we could build a bit of momentum. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. I must uh, just remind myself. I know it's Leicester next weekend, but the... the um... It's Bournemouth after that away and then Fulham at home. Right. So, decent little run before we go to Old Trafford. Fulham looked quite good against... Well, I know Liverpool were not g- great. But mm-hmm. Fulham looked uh, Fulham looked not bad. Um, yeah. I mean, Mitrovic will cause anyone problems. I think he's a big fucking guy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's a big wasn't guy. quite a fair fight at the back post when they slung that cross <laughs> up in the air. I don't know if you've seen it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Him up against Trent Alexander Arnold is a, a bit of a mismatch, to be fair. Yeah, I mean his his forearm is basically you know the size of I don't know what it is. There's no way uh, Trent was getting up there. You know, people can uh, criticize the defending, and I don't think defending is necessarily his strongest um, aspect or the strongest aspect of his game. But mm-hmm. you know. It is, it's sort of like um, Sandy Cazorla versus, I don't know, Peter Crouch at the back post. Not quite that much, but, you know, uh, there, yeah, there, was sure. a, there was a distinct advantage. So, yeah, no, you're right. But uh, you take nothing for granted, obviously, in the Premier League. And, and if you're, as Liverpool showed, if you're not on your game, um, teams can take points off you. So we've got to be cautious. But I think you're right. This was, you know, on paper anyway, the most tricky of the opening five fixtures um well whatever happens we'll be in a better position after three games than we were (laughs) after three games last year that's guaranteed guaranteed straight away uh the team no surprises Mikel Arteta chose the uh, same team that he put out against Sevilla uh played I think more or less 80 minutes with that team so I don't know that that really merits any any great discussion um and no, the, there wasn't wasn't much to report there. I guess Kieran Tierney being back and on the bench was um, yeah. newsworthy, I suppose, because he was one of the players who hadn't really participated until this point. But, you know, I think we all knew what the starting eleven was going to be. And I, I suppose the, the only thing worth saying about that is it speaks to the benefit of the preparation Arsenal have had in this preseason. They've had such disjointed pre-seasons in recent years for different reasons. Um, And this time, you know, they had a lot of the squad together. There wasn't the same, quite the same turnover in terms of numbers or staff. They've had these two trips to Germany and to America, which have been really beneficial. They've been able to field the same lineup in the two friendlies before going into the Premier League. I mean, that's almost unheard of. Um, So I, I think, you know, Hopefully, we're going to see in these first few weeks the benefit of not just a proper preseason, but a very settled preseason. Yeah, and I think that's really valuable to a coach and his staff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you heard the preview podcast uh, on Patreon when I was talking to Dan from HLTCO, the the Crystal Palace. Ah, well, uh, they've had the opposite they had- situation. I didn't hear the pod, but they've had a chaotic. Yeah, pre-season. yeah, that's true. So half the team is in Australia, and the other half is is over uh, here, and you know. Uh, there might be some benefits, but I really don't know that that's ideal when you're going into a new season. Um, and, and, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have said from their performance on Friday night that this was uh, this was something that really troubled them. But you never know in terms of football just how the marginal gains make 
sufficient difference in a game, you know, in a match, if you know what I mean. So maybe if they had had their preseason together, they could have been even better uh, mm. on Friday night. I, I don't know. Um, but let's talk about the first 20, 25 minutes from an Arsenal perspective, because it was very good. It was a really bright start to the game. We were front-footed. We were aggressive. We moved the ball quickly. We ran at the defenders. Um, and I think deservedly took the lead in that period. Could have scored the Martinelli chance. I think he, he should have scored. Didn't, mm. didn't seem to quite sort his feet out. But Gabriel Jesus, it looked like just a matter of time before he was going to do something um, to create a goal or get a goal himself. It didn't quite happen. But he was just unbelievable in those opening 20 minutes or so. Yeah. I mean, the footwork from him, I think it was in the build-up to the Martinelli chance, mm. was just sensational. And there was another moment relatively early on where he kind of pinned his man on the halfway line and span round him. He was a live wire. And Arsenal were um, electric in that first 20 minutes. And I have mm. to be honest and say, I wasn't particularly surprised. That was kind of the Arsenal... I expected, given what we've seen in pre-season against Chelsea and against Sevilla, I know the Premier League's a different matter, but I thought we're going to start with real intensity and Palace, you know, couldn't get a foothold in the game at that particular time. And your only fear was, you know, Arsenal going to get the goal that this warrants or, or goals, mm. arguably. Um, because, you know, when you play in a kind of such a blitzy, uh, devastating fashion for a sustained period like Arsenal did um you really want to reap the rewards of that and when a couple of chances went awry I think there was a the Martinelli one and maybe like a half chance for Zinchenko you know out on the left hand side mm. you you just worry that it's gonna get away from you but fortunately Martinelli made amends didn't he yeah he did he did uh set piece goal I was just while you were talking there I was just trying to look up how many um, set-piece goals we scored last season. Um, and I can't find it because I, I'm uh, distracted. Um, but set-pieces are becoming or are an important aspect of how this team gets goals. Mm -hmm. uh, they threw up some stat on, uh, on Sky, I think, about how many set-piece goals Crystal Palace had conceded. Um, it was a nicely worked routine, wasn't it? It really was. Yeah, really, really well worked. I mean, you know, Zinchenko, not the obvious choice, really, mm. um, to aim a ball for at the back post. And maybe that's what makes him the right choice. Um, and he, he does well to get it back across the goal. And Martelli's in the right place at the right time. But even if he wasn't, uh, you know, there's a there's a few other players sort of hovering at that yeah. back, back post, uh, potentially to put it away. I think Gabriel might be there and and possibly Saliba as well. So, yeah, really well worked and it came off an absolute treat. And I was intrigued after the game. Arteta said, oh, yeah, one of the set pieces guys um, came up with it. And, yeah. You know, last season it was always uh, Yeovo was getting the credit. I wonder if they've expanded that department or added somebody else there potentially. I head, don't know. Head of but kicking. it was a, an interesting answer. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, maybe they have... Um, workshops or whatever. I don't quite know. Yeah, I, mean, exactly. there, there, I don't know. There comes a point where I think, you know, what what can you do that's new? Do you remember like, was it last season or maybe a couple of seasons ago where you would get all the players huddled in the middle together mm. um, and then they'd break off into various... Yeah, the train. The yeah. train. Yeah. The love train, I think. Uh, 
And then you'd, used to call it. you'd have another one where, you know, a lot of players would stay outside the box and then make their way in when the del- the delivery was made. But, I mean, the, there's a finite number of things you can do with players from corners and set pieces. But that one worked very, very well. It was a good header back by Zinchenko as well. And I thought what, um, you know, the little uh, bit where Zaha had to make a decision whether or not to go with Ben White or Zinchenko, Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of pulled him around a little bit. Um, I, I do wonder, I mean, I don't wish to take any credit away from anybody, but I do wonder if potentially the idea was for Zinchenko to meet it on the volley. Um, mm. But, which which would feel a little bit, like it made a little bit more sense. But if it if that was the case, it was great improvisation from him and a really good header back across goal. And, you know, like I say, poacher's instinct from, from Martinelli to put it away. Right. So, I mean, a problem I think that we had last season was going ahead and then not quite sitting back, but not building on the goal, not building Mm. on the momentum that we had. And there was perhaps an element of that uh, after we scored, because it was a fairly intense opening 20, 25 minutes, you know, which we dominated, I think, uh, certainly in terms of passing, in terms of territory, in terms of... um, chances i mean there weren't loads of chances but you know there was one team that looked like it was going to score and it wasn't crystal palace but then palace got back into it um we did have a number of questions actually uh let me see if i can find one here uh i saw it there a second ago oh yeah it comes from prakash narayan who's at t or tyron uh, underscore 11 and he says, uh, why do you think we still fall back to the uh, low or mid block when Arteta clearly wants the team to press high uh, even after taking the lead? Is it a mental thing? Is it a, a physical aspect? And I don't quite know what it is. I, I, I certainly don't think it's instruction. And I think we've seen enough and heard enough from Mikel Arteta at this point to know that it's not uh, an instructor. Like, okay, guys, when you score, just, you know, settle down, let them have the ball for a bit. Actually, let them in our half, you know, uh, let them throw a few cross. I don't think that's what's happening, but it is still something that is part of our game in the way that we react when we score a goal. Yeah, it certainly was a, an issue we faced last season. Um, I think inevitably we always look at ourselves. I have to be honest and say that my impression in the stadium is that Palace really adjusted and adapted what they were doing uh, in that last 15 minutes of the half. And it presented us with problems that we didn't solve instantly. Um, so I think it's always a two-way sure. street. Uh, you know, they started giving us a lot less time on the ball in our own half. They started flooding back in much greater numbers to prevent us getting the overloads we were getting. So they they found a foothold in the game eventually, which is kind of inevitable with a mm. home team. Very difficult to sustain that kind of football away from home. But it is something that Arteta, I think, will be will have hammered home. I mean, having seen what we've seen from him in the documentary, you can almost imagine what his halftime team talk would have been. Uh, And it would have been about trying to regain, recapture that intensity playing up the pitch. Because watching that first 20 minutes, the simplicity of it and the beauty of it is basically you're playing in the opponent's half, right? Yeah. And subsequently, um, you know, the level of threat you face and the level of threat you provide are much lower and higher, respectively. And uh, that's the trick for this team. And I do feel that the additions that we've made 
And the way we're setting up is all designed around getting us playing in the opponent's half much more. You know, to borrow Paul's analogy from the Arsenal Vision podcast, it's about getting the toothpaste right up the tube. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when you look at the way we kind of set up with White and Zinchenko almost stepping into midfield and just the two centre-halves at the back and, uh, you know, five lanes of attack. It's kind of a two, three, five camps in the opponent's territory. Mm. That's where Arteta wants us to be and what wants us to go. Why exactly we can't sustain it? It's really difficult to say. I think I would be fibbing if I told you I... You had the knew. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I, I don't quite or can't quite explain it fully either. Other than games change and momentum changes and sometimes it is hard to halt momentum when it goes against you and you know away from home on a friday night noisy crowd etc etc um you know and i did think uh you know i think this was an overwhelmingly uh positive night from from an arsenal perspective certainly in terms of uh the results the clean sheet away from home you know putting some putting some shit to bed, if you like, as well, based on last season. You know, our last away game last season mm. was pretty traumatic and, and certainly playing at Crystal Palace last season away from home was was traumatic. It didn't go the way we thought. So, you know, uh, I'm not trying to uh, dwell on any negatives here, but during the second half, I was looking at the bench and I was thinking, you know, what do we do here? How do we change it? How do we try and... Uh, get back into this game, get a hold of it, get a grip of it. And I was looking at the bench and look, thinking, mm, there isn't really that player there. Like, there, you know, if you'd had Smith Rowe on the bench, if you'd had um, Fabio Vieira on the bench, you're looking at those two players as like, okay, they can come on and they can, you know, give you some control. They can give you maybe something different from a technical perspective. But that that sort of struck me that maybe there's still room for something else in games like this, because there are players on that bench that, you know, if we needed a goal, you know, you can bring on Eddie, you can bring on Nicolas Pepe for better or worse for the flaws that we've discussed time and time again. If you need a goal, he is certainly somebody who could help you get one if he can come on and get to the level of a game. But it's an interesting thing to consider maybe that when you're ahead and when you're not necessarily in the Rob Holding moment where you're bringing Holding on to just hold on, um, for, uh, no pun intended, mm -hmm. you know, that other kind of player who can uh, come off the bench and have an impact on a game quickly would have been pretty useful uh, on Friday night, I think. Maybe, yeah, because it did feel like something was required to slightly shift the pattern of yeah. the momentum. I mean, I'm as delighted as anybody that we won. Um but I do think that apart from the first 20 minutes, it, it wasn't massively anything to write home about in terms of performance. And I think that mm. there are lots of games like we had like this last season, sort of 50-50 games, some of which we won, some of which we lost. And there were basically big moments in the penalty areas went in our favour. You know, we got the goal off the set piece. We got an own goal uh, and they missed a couple of very, very good chances. Um you know, one either side of half time um, with Eduard and then uh, Eze. So it was fine, fine margins. But I guess what we're what we've been told is that Arsenal are trying to add players with a mentality who know how to work those margins in their favour. Yeah. Um, 
And I did think watching the game, that was another thing I thought, the advantage of signing in Zinchenko and Jesus, players who know the country, know the league, who've played at Crystal Palace countless times, who know what it takes to go away from home in this division and get a result. I do think the value of that is mm. enormous. Like there's almost no acclimatization or adaptation period. It's straight in and they they get it, you know. Okay, they've got to figure out their teammates and their movement and the relationships, but they absolutely know the task that's required of them and they come with the highest standards. And I just think there's a big advantage mm. for Arsenal in that. I think you're right to say that there wasn't much to write home about in terms of the performance, but Mikel Arteta spoke about the resilience of his team. There were a couple of very good saves by Aaron Ramsdale, which I think we should point out. He had that moment with the ball at his feet where you, like, I'm not saying this is entirely um, down to that, but I do think that that got the crowd going a little bit. It did um, in some way help change the momentum mm. from a Palace perspective where we had control and then you had this moment where everyone's a bit like, ooh, what's happening here? And I do wonder if that maybe had an impact on on how the you know the subsequent yeah. 15 minutes of that half went. But He had another one shortly afterwards uh, where he was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. That pass, as I recall, yeah. Um, but he did make a very, very good save in the first half uh, from Edward. It was a header. Um, got himself across very well and won in the second half um, as well where he got down very quickly. I think, was it Eze? Um, that was, was Eze, on goal? Yeah, when, uh, when Odegaard was sort of, White was caught on the wrong side of the pitch Yeah, and Odegaard found himself playing right back. Um, that is not, like, I love Martin Odegaard. I don't want to see him defending at the back post against Mitrovic. That n- is for sure. No, and I, th- I, I feel like some of the most difficult moments Martin Odegaard has had in an Arsenal shirt have come when he's sort of back defending in that area. Um, yeah. You know, penalty, was it against Manchester United last season? You know, a couple of, couple of moments where things have not gone that well for him. But look, it was a very, very good save from Ramsdale. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought he made two massive saves. Yeah. And was great in those moments. Weirdly, I thought all round it probably wasn't his cleanest game but I guess for goalkeepers moments are a big thing I do think that we I do think that the sort of kicking errors like for example the one that was blocked I do think that that's just something that is going to happen time to time when you ask your goalkeeper to play very ambitiously on the ball and in that moment he was actually trying to play in Martinelli who was making a curved run on the halfway line I was sat at that end so I could see and I do sort of think Although it is terrifying, don't get me wrong, it is terrifying. We all feel like Aaron Rabsdale's dad uh, in that moment, having to turn away <laughs> and walk away. You know, I saw quite a lot of City and Liverpool last season, and there are scary moments with their keepers too. And I just think when you place that much responsibility on a player who's probably less technically gifted than any outfield player, you are going to see that. Time and t- uh, you know a time and again. The, the the interesting thing is, I do think that probably it has a what's the word like a kind of permeating effect where it probably does affect the the principles of the play a little bit. I think it does probably bleed into other players' consciousness and nerves and the crowd. So it's just one of those risk reward things, right? That, that yeah comes with that territory. 
Yep, and look, he did play a couple of really, really good passes as well. So um, sure, sure, he uh, got his Twitter clips. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, so look, I, I think I was making the point about resilience, and and that's what kind of pleased Mikel Arteta because yeah. you know, apart from those two um, saves that Ramsdale made, I don't really think Palace threatened that much despite the fact I think they were pretty much on top for most of the second half and we couldn't really get ourselves into the game in a in a significant way from an uh, attacking perspective mm. um which brings us of course to uh, two players two individuals who uh, are obviously uh, worthy of mentioning here um I'm going to leave William Saliba just for a second because his debut was fantastic and we can discuss that but I was really taken aback is not the right way to say it because, you know, um, variances in opinion uh, over matters in football shouldn't be any surprise. But I was a little surprised by the perception of Ben White's performance among many fans. Yeah, it's really, it's genuinely really interesting. I've rarely known such a, a divide of opinion on a performance and i've got to say that in the press box um overwhelmingly the opinion was sort of quite negative i mean i won't mention any names but i <laughs> i i know arsenal a couple of arsenal reporters who were doing player ratings and i know one gave him a 5 another gave a 6 and sort of said he struggled and then i know a lot of people who also thought he did really well but it was in, in it was interesting like within the stadium or certainly within the press box the perception was quite negative I, it's fascinating i guess you know i know you don't want to discuss william sleeper yet but i guess maybe it's a, a case of uh, we must choose one or the other yeah yeah we yeah. cannot possibly pray both <laughs> we had this a couple of weeks ago didn't we like you know the the saliba stands versus yeah. the ben shite fucking ultras whatever it is look i i what did you think of ben White? i thought he i i tell you why i think there is a a perception of his performance um, not being good is that maybe in the first half there were a couple of misplaced passes, fairly simple misplaced passes, which we know he is much better. Uh, he's capable of a lot better than that. And I do think that maybe those misplaced passes have gone some way to uh, informing the way people think about the way that he played. Uh, you know, what, what did Wilfred Zaha do in the game? I mean, he got well, a lot of the ball, and I, you know, I, he if, was he was their game plan as he, ever, yeah. right? And and that was, I think, that contributes to the perception. This idea that well, look, they're clearly looking for the space in behind. Ben Therefore, White. he's weak. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that informs it. For for me, Zaha is kind of the key factor in this. I mean, there are very few players one on one in the Premier League who are more difficult to play against than Wilfred Zaha. Yeah. I really, really, really think that. And I think I think you could have put Tommy Asu. I think you could have put Bakary Sanya. I think you could have put any good right back up one-on-one against Zaha and say, Palace are going to launch balls in behind you all day long. Good luck with that. And there would be moments where they looked uh, stretched, shall we say. Yeah. Because it, it's a difficult job for any right back, let alone a guy who is sort of learning that position effectively on the Mm -hmm. job. And I think given that, he did very well, you know? And I think Arsenal, as an overall, won 
the battle on that side of the defence. And it was a joint effort at times. Um, you know, so when White couldn't quite get there, Saliba did. Mm. And I think, you know, that was Palace's game plan and Arsenal were but able to shut it down. Were there some nervy moments? Were there some moments where a last-ditch intervention was required or a really good tackle was required? Absolutely. Did Ben White pick up a booking? Absolutely. But it was just part of the battle. And ultimately, I guess the clean sheet speaks for itself. Yeah. Uh, Zaha had one shot in -hmm. the game. Um, And I think, you know, you're never going to have, I think you're absolutely right to say he would give most right-backs, I think every right-back in the Premier League, you know, will have a a challenge against him. We know he's a difficult guy to play against because he's good on the ball, he's tricky, he's fast, he's strong, he's tall. Uh, You know, he... he, he likes to complain. We know that uh, when things it's a psychological go- game against him. Yeah, as well. exactly. It's like it's the it's mental side, relentless against him. Like every time something doesn't go his way, he's like pounding the ground as if the universe has you know done him in completely. Um, yeah. So I, think I, I-, I asked um, Arteta about how Ben White did at right back, and I said, mm. oh, you know, he was up against a difficult opponent. Uh, and if you watch the video back, when I said, you know, he was up against a difficult opponent, Arteta actually laughs. Because he's like, yeah, he's difficult. And he spoke about the kind of mental side and how Zaha kind of winds you up, not just through, uh, you know, you know the way his character, but also his style of play is kind of aggravating, you know. He's sort of taunting you into tackles at times. I think Ben White coped um, admirably with that. And I was really struck that Arteta said afterwards that he likes playing there. You know, he quite yeah, likes yeah, yeah. playing at yeah. right back. I thought he did well. I really thought he did well. Uh, eight tackles he made on the night. Um, you in know. the absence of Tommy Asu, do we have a a more natural yeah. right back who would have done better? I don't think I, so. I think Cedric would have had a like. I'm not saying this to be critical of Cedric, but I think Cedric would have had a more difficult time against Zaha. I think mm-hmm. there is something about you know the the physical aspect of playing against somebody like Zaha and Ben White. You know, is fairly big guy, strong, is used to those um, duels in the in the centre of defence. Um, and look, the the thing that I was going to say a, a, a few moments ago was the passing from the back from uh, Joachim Anderson was unbelievable. Yeah, that guy has got Holy superpower. shit. I mean, I, it was I, the same last season. He played the pass, didn't he, that yeah. got them in behind. But, I mean, yeah, he, he really does have a superpower there. It's almost like mm. a kind of Rory Delap's throw-in thing where it's like, you know, he is a game plan in himself, that guy. Yeah, yeah. That's what Basically, that's what Dan was saying on the, on the preview part is that, like, right. they use their centre-halves to build play. And when you've got somebody with that kind of passing range, you know, some people will say – well, it's long ball. Nah, that's not long ball. Long ball is when you just fucking lump it downfield and you hope for the best. This is like laser-guided, precision, long-distance passing, and it's it was hugely impressive um, now that I can sit here and talk about it, knowing that we've won 2-0 and kept a clean sheet. During the game, I have to say I was a little less um, enthused by mm. the time and space he was allowed to make those passes. Um, yeah, I was wondering, 
you know, could we have done more? And I'd need to go back and, and look at those uh, long passes again and just see how maybe they built space for him at the back. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting because obviously, you know, the high press has been a big feature of our preseason. I do wonder if it's as simple as we were focused on, you know, cutting out the shorter passes. So, you know, when the centre half is in possession, we're thinking, right, you know, let's block off the lane to the fullback or let's block off the lane to the holding midfield player. Yeah. And they were just bypassing that a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he he really can pass that. Yeah. Way. And that, yeah, that's it. I mean, I think that as well adds to the idea that, okay, if, if the pass is good and it lands um, in a place where Zaha can get it and not be cleared by Ben White as a header, people are looking at it and thinking, has Ben White done something wrong there? And I don't think that's the case. Mm. I just think the quality of the passing was was really, really good. Um, so, yeah, for me, I thought Ben White had a very, very good game. A very good game. Um, I know some people won't agree, but there you go. Let's talk Saliba then, because um, that was a, a very, very, very impressive <laughs> Arsenal debut. Um, yeah, he was, he was really excellent, I thought. He was Arsenal's best player on the night. Um, yeah. And, you know, you do forget, because we've been talking about him for years, you do forget quite how young he is. And I think when you add that layer of context to it, he's 21 and he's not long 21. I mean, he's not 22 until March. Um, I know he's played a lot of football at that tender age, but to come into the Premier League... Well, that's 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 good. That's the good thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was interesting after the game. <laughs> you know, again, depending on which side of the Saliba Wars you were on, um, there were different perceptions of the, you know, the ramification of the performance. I noticed a lot of people saying, oh, he should have been here last season or whatever it might be. I, I think... We've got to let bygones be bygones at this point. And um, this was an excellent debut. The time was right for him to come in. Uh, listen, I don't think Palace have... They lost a lot of goal threat in Conor Gallagher, that's for sure. Mm. And they've not quite replaced that. But I still think that players like Edward, like Ayu, uh, like Mateta, who came on... Mm. They're a handful, you know. Mateta especially is a, is he can be a bit ungainly, but he's a real physical presence. And Saliba stood up to everything. His composure uh, at such a young age is has always been mm. a facet of his game, but it is remarkable. And I mean, listen, I, yeah, I, I've always been a fan of him as a player, but it's. Size is one thing, like six foot one or whatever he is. Like in in real terms, you know, I'm six foot one. He's but he's bigger than that, isn't he? It's maybe, maybe six two, six three. Whatever he is, it's presence. Yeah, it, 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 I think his size is complemented by presence, and that is a kind of X factor quality that is more difficult to define. And I think it comes with confidence assuredness authority and he exudes all of those mm. attributes and it makes him look and feel about eight feet tall on the pitch <laughs> and about four feet wide yeah he's he's 1.93 meters tall which is six foot three and a bit so okay so he is taller than six one That's he right. is. that makes sense he but he, but even so he's just got such a commanding um presence and he dealt with the occasion 
superbly. There were some brilliant, uh, well-timed tackles. One on Zaha mm-hmm. in the box that was excellent. There was another one that got pulled back for a, an earlier foul by Partey, which was almost a shame because it was such a beautiful tackle. Yeah. Um, his distribution was very consistent, very solid. I mean, you you couldn't... I, I don't want to go overboard because it's one game and the hallmark of any defender is consistency, sure. you know, any great defender. But this was an incredibly encouraging debut. I agree. I agree. And you can talk about size like, you know, it matters, but it's not necessarily always, um, you, no, you need more than mean, that. You know, you know? It, yeah. You- it has to be complemented by the right, you have to know how to use it. <laughs> and And he... He absolutely does. I mean, yeah. And, and, you know, looking at that central defensive pairing, him and Gabrielle, it's a pretty domineering partnership at the back from a physical perspective. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, if you, um, if you look across the back four now, you know, we, we've got some serious presence there when you, when you've got White, Saliba, Gabrielle, Tommy Asu. Um, I know Tierney and Zinchenko aren't exactly massive, but, you know, we do have that presence there. I, you know, I have to say, I looked at Saliba and I watched him closely, obviously, because it was his debut yeah. and because there's just been so much talk about him and because, you know, you know how much I love a good centre half as well. Um, the, the, the composure, I know you use that word, was just unbelievable. Mm. You know, the way he was waiting for players to just move towards him before he'd knock off the pass. Um he wasn't flustered at all. There was a couple of moments with Zaha where he chased him back into the corner. He do, you, you know, you can look at a defender sometimes and go, I can see the panic in the way you're running and even the way you're moving. I can see you're terrified of what this attacker could potentially do to you. Yeah. But there's, there's literally none of that. He looks for passes. There were a couple of, of very good forward passes as well. Nobody else made more passes on the night uh, with a higher percentage uh, completion rate than than William Saliba, uh, 94% completion rate uh, of his passes. And, you know, when you look through the team, you know, someone like uh, Xhaka, who's usually very high, um, you know, had only 85%, which isn't bad for a midfielder, but 71, yeah, yeah. you know. Partey wasn't great. Certainly in the other, in the attacking half, his passing completion was pretty low. Yeah. So, um, you know, even Martin Odegaard. Gabriel didn't have his best night generally, I didn't think. Uh, and Saliba, you know, certainly looked the more assured of mm. the two centre-halves on the evening. Yeah, he, he's very good on the ball and he's got a neat trick, like you say. If, I saw this a few times at Marseille where he'll kind of invite the press he'll invite the attacker to get close to him and then either play the pass or make a little turn um he just exudes uh like a kind of coolness essentially yeah. a cool-headedness yeah which and, and- is what the, belongs to a player who's basically been the best player at every youth level through and to senior level and just has a natural confidence it's yes. um you yeah. can see it. I, I said to you last week, he's a serious dude, but he's like, it's not just the expression on his face. It's the way he, he does his job. Exactly. Like yeah. he absolutely is there to fucking stop you. If you're the attacker, like it's it's a personal stuff, you know? I'm not letting yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> I'm not it's letting pride. you through. It's yeah, pride. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and, I love that. I love and that. And 
yeah, and 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 for all the talk and all the debate of like how good is he, like the one person I know doesn't have any doubt at all is him. Yeah. Like, you know, he has absolute confidence on the pitch, and that's a huge component for any elite athlete. So, yeah, it was. Um, I think it was quite a startling debut because of how much has preceded it and the mm. level of expectation, the level of attention and the way in which he just brushed it all off his very broad shoulders yeah. um, was very admirable. Yeah. I mean, he was, I don't know if you saw the, the post-game interview on Sky, uh, Jeff Shreves. I and, have seen it. Yeah. yeah and it was sort of obviously like, Oh, it's taken three years, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think you could make a case that maybe last season William Saliba would have got football at Arsenal. Um, you know, he or, or was good enough, I should say, to get football at Arsenal, right? Um, yeah. I mean, we barely had a centre-half at the end of the season. It was, it, yeah. we, were, we were chucking people out there with injuries. Exactly. So, yeah. But we didn't have Europe and we didn't have the ability to rotate as much and we didn't, have, we didn't need to rotate as much without Europe. So the, the decision to send him on loan as I've said on here many times, I understand it when you send a, a then 19-year-old defender out, or was he 20? I don't know. Um, you know, just gone 20 years of age to play a full season for Marseille or wherever it was that he was going to play. And the benefit of that to the player is obvious. And I think the benefit of that to Arsenal this season, based on one game, is also obvious. And I don't believe for a second that our inability to finish in the top four was because we didn't have William Saliba last season. I think there were other factors at play, which we've discussed at length. And I don't think it was just, you know, Saliba, or Saliba's absence wouldn't have been sufficient. I think it was the other absences, key injuries, you know, goal scoring problems, striker, et cetera, et cetera, which really cost us. But, you know, it was just so encouraging to see him come in, do his job, talk about that, you know, situation, say the right things, um, I mean, he's got a an incredibly deep voice as well, doesn't he? Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, like, I imagine yeah, he spoke like that since he was about six. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he had the goatee then as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's interesting as well is obviously the relationship with the manager has been a, a huge focus. And Saliba's been pretty public about that, elements of that, that you know he wasn't happy with or felt he wasn't given a chance. Certainly the manager is now saying all the things you'd want him to say. I think he's always right. said that. Though. I think genuinely he's pretty much always been up front about Saliba. Like, because there was that fuck up where we didn't loan him, right? Mm. Um, and we should have done. As a football club, we let him down there. That was not good. But I think Arteta's always been up front about like, wanting to do the right thing by what he feels is the right thing by the player. Mm -hmm. You know, and the idea or the the perception that somehow because he sent him on loan and then sent him on loan again Mikel Arteta hates William Saliba doesn't make any sense to me if he hated William Saliba William Saliba wouldn't be starting the first game of the Premier League season away from home at Crystal Palace to make his Premier League debut that just yeah. doesn't happen if the manager doesn't rate a player and doesn't doesn't like a player that that doesn't happen and I think you know I hope it will uh, be borne out over the over the course of the season you know this this guy looks like someone who's going to raise the level of this football team 
at the back defensively. Yeah. And I, I just don't really see the point in arguing the toss over some stuff that, you know, is basically the result of all of us having far too much time to talk amongst ourselves about football. <laughs> and I think, to be honest, the rest of the league have slightly slept on Saliba coming back to Arsenal and what a um, boost that is. And, you know, as I've said in here before, I really didn't believe mm. it, would, it would get to this. And I'm so thrilled that it has. And, and he, um, yeah, he did really well. Like I said, I think there are different kinds of tests ahead and different kinds of centre forwards and people who are going to run in behind him or try and drag him out to the channels and, you know, different elements to see. And consistency will be key, you know, be a key marker. But... Mm you can't help but be excited by what you've seen. And he's put himself, putting himself into a very strong position, yeah. um, not just within the Arsenal squad, but also with reference to uh, potential contract negotiations. Yeah. So look, um, he was, I think, the big positive on the night because of just everything that went into that debut and just how good it was. But in conclusion, uh, coming back to where we started, three points, clean sheet, two goals, positive goal difference, a win away from home. Um, you know, the belief and the optimism that people had going into a new season, as we always say, like results determine how you feel about things. You know, you can look at a plan and say, that's a great plan. You can look at a transfer window and say, those are good signings. You can look at a manager or a coach and say, he knows his shit from a tactical perspective perspective etc etc but results dictate pretty much everything and you know I was so not that I was afraid of it but I was just so glad that we kicked off the season with a win to sort of you know you feel like you've taken a couple of steps forward in the in the window in preseason, what you've done etc etc you don't want to like take one back um so just from the result perspective i'm i'm delighted that we got off to a win and and you know hopefully it settles everyone down continues to build the confidence and and like you say there's some games coming up that you're looking at and thinking you know we could really we could really get off to a good start this season yeah and i've relived um the start to last season more than once via the documentary um which i've seen a couple of times and I have no great desire to do that again. And I do think yeah. your first game of the season is incredibly important. I think it sets a tone and we got the right result. And it means that, you know, things feel a lot healthier. And I'm genuinely really excited to be at the Emirates next weekend. Mm. I think there's going to be a big buzz and I'm glad that that's being maintained through pre-season. So, and also, you know, in a pure as the most basic of terms, it's three points that we didn't get last season away mm. to Palace. So an improvement for sure. And um, and also room to improve in the performance. Of course. And I don't think course. that's a bad thing. I think as a coach, you're probably looking at it and thinking, well, there's stuff I can work on here in the week. Um, and, you know, you'd rather be doing that on the cushion of three points than not. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we move on and do some questions in part two? I'm sure it will all come up in the questions. No so, doubt. Yeah. Let's okay. Get on to that. All right. We will do that. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hold up. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash ArsBlog. If you'd like to sign up and support everything that we do on the site, heading into a new season and get extra podcasts, including an episode of Waffle coming this week, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into the questions, actually, I just wanted to have a, a quick chat about... Uh, All or Nothing, uh, the documentary. Uh, oh, we yeah. have covered it over on Patreon. Myself and Phil Costa did an episode on the uh, the episodes one to three. So you can go over and listen to that on Patreon uh, after you finish this, if you haven't already had a chance to listen to it. But I did want to ask you what you thought of the of the show um, and what we've seen from it um, on this more public podcast. I I've re- I've enjoyed it. Like I I did you I've expect really, to enjoy? I've really it? enjoyed it. Um, I, I knew I would because I'm an Arsenal fan and as I've said on the show before, like I'm the kind of guy who gets a kick out of watching tunnel cams and mm. anything that's like an insight. I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing if I wasn't interested in sort of what it's like in that dressing room environment. Mm. Um, so any insight into that is fascinating. And in fact, I'm feeling something already this season of like the all or nothing effect, which is that, you know, say after the Crystal Palace game, I'm kind of almost frustrated or disappointed that I'll never see what happened in that dressing room. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I've been spoilt now. Yeah. It's been open to me. And now I'm like, well, just let me see every team talk in a way. Um, but yeah, I, I have enjoyed it. I had quite realistic expectations, I think. You know, I knew it was going to be a heavily curated mm. thing. And I don't think it's particularly newsy like i don't think there's like massive stories or things we didn't know about in mm. there but it's the human element that um yeah i find interesting you know the insight into the personalities you know stuff like working one to one with smith rowe and the insights arteta makes about his character i think the nuno tavares stuff is is fascinating almost especially in the light of the recent decision to send him out on loan mm. um i like kind of uh seeing you know the players families the stuff with the ramsdales is great and i think humanizes them i have to say like somebody said to me uh on twitter and they were like, you know, when you watch something like this, it almost makes you think twice about um, some of the stuff you say or tweet about players. And I was like, well, if that's the only thing that uh, this documentary does, I'm not saying you shouldn't criticise players, it's more just kind of the manner and the nature of that, then it's that's quite valuable. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I've I've enjoyed it as an entertainment show. Like it really plays to my sensibilities. What, what about you? Yeah, I've liked it. Um, I have to say, like you, I think the the human aspect of you know the players is something that we we often not often, but is maybe taken for granted, or people don't think about it enough. Mm. Like. I was talking to Phil about this on the other podcast. So, um, but you know, even someone like Kieran, is that on Patreon? If people it's on like Patreon, that. yeah. If, right. if people want to listen, but you know, even someone like Kieran Tierney, you know, th- he didn't come from South America, where it's hot all the time, to rainy London. You know, where he doesn't understand the language or anything like that. He came from Glasgow, mm. and he no one still understands his language. Yeah. To be fair. <laughs> and he still had like issues of of homesickness and depression. Maybe not helped by the big injury he picked up in his first season, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He had one of the hardest adaptations of any player coming into Arsenal in recent years. That's because because you have to remember, no player could be more embedded, embodied rather, in the fabric of a club. Than, than Tierney was at Celtic. Sure, sure. And so to go away from that is a huge wrench. Um, and yeah, so so that stuff is is fascinating. Um, obviously, the manager is a big focus. And I guess like one of the things I'm learning about the documentary is kind of you, you take your biases into it. So if you're inclined to think that... Uh, if you have a positive opinion of the manager, then there's a lot in the documentary that will kind of play that out for you. And I think if you have a negative one, um, you can probably yeah. find things to ridicule him. Sure. Over. I think I think some of the things that went around on social media are much better in the context of the documentary than um, of course. just as standalone thing. And I could give two hoots what a fan of another club thinks. Oh, of course. I could, yeah, I couldn't give a shit about that. But, you know, what, 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 I think it's, it's, it's sort of worth remembering that this is like, Arsenal-themed light entertainment for the semi-interested sports fan, football fan, or maybe not even football fans at all. It's not really, really for Arsenal fans, even though we're the ones who are most interested in it. And we'll you take know, the most from it, for yeah, sure, I think. It, exactly. But you know, um, you know what sort of... You know, those things like the rubbing the hands together or, you know, the doodles on the whiteboard, you know, the, the two testicles and the, the, the Mickey... Um, <laughs> You know, things like that are just, they're the things that we're being shown in the context of this TV program. We're not seeing the nuts and bolts of training. We're not no, seeing we're not getting the tactical briefings. The tactical briefings. We're not getting all of the detailed preparation that goes into a game. We're seeing like a couple of minutes before uh, kickoff, you know, a team talk, uh, you know, an exercise, whatever it is. And those are the things that make for good TV, but they're not really representative of all the work that Mikel Arteta does. He's not just sort of sitting there going like, what slightly quirky yeah. thing will what I think of today? Draw next week. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think you have to bear that in mind as well. But, you know, I am, I am enjoying it. I have to say, I like some of the reactions, the, 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 the stuff where they're least aware of the cameras is probably my favorite stuff. Mm. Um, That's you know, probably more like the dressing rooms. Yeah, stuff, like Ram- Ramsdale coming in after the Villa game, absolutely fuming that he didn't get his, oh, they fucking didn't get me bastard clean sheet, whatever it is yeah, he said. Yeah. You know, things like that. And then Arteta, you know, at one point, he's just having a conversation with one of the coaches. Um, maybe it was in relation to, 
I don't know whether it was himself or whether it was a player in particular, I can't quite remember, but he's just talking about, you know, the press in England, the way they build you up, build you up. Could have been about Saka, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, they build you up and then they bring you down and they're killing you. They're absolutely killing you. You know, things like that, I think, are the most interesting aspects. And, you know, the sort of set piece stuff, if you like, is the least interesting and, and certainly the stuff that most people might raise an eyebrow at if they're thinking of watching the program or not watching the program. But they're, they're not really they're not really the, the, the important parts for me anyway. Yeah, I think obviously I would be alarmed if all our manager did was um, get people to rub their hands together and draw cartoons. But I don't for a second think that's the case. It's just the less sensitive stuff to show. I mean, Arsenal aren't going to expose any of the kind of inner tactical workings of the club. Um, and, and you know, that's... It, Arteta makes the point himself several times in the documentary that work happens during the week. What happens in the hour before the game is about emotion and motivation. They know everything else. Right? Mm, exactly. Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But he's got to come up with 38 games plus 10 cup games or whatever it might be worth of stuff to keep these players engaged and energised. And mm. you can bet your bottom dollar there'll be some weird ideas along the way. But as long <laughs> as it's stimulating, then I guess he'll consider that a success. I actually think maybe the most interesting moment in the first three episodes for, for me, about the manager anyway, is the conversation between Edu and Steve Round in the canteen when Arsenal have started winning a couple of games and are picking up a bit of form. And Edu says to Steve Round, Mikel looks a bit better to me. I always said when he starts to build personal relationships with the players, he'll go to another level because mm. tactically he's top. Yeah. And it's just because, you know, that's sort of been something we've wondered about from the outside. Kind of, I don't mm. think anyone really questions Arteta's sort of tactical brain. I think most of us know he has a very in-depth, thorough understanding of the detail of games. We hear that from players constantly. But that interpersonal dynamic is something we've wondered about more. Mm. And I do think in the documentary, you kind of can see that, you know, there is something there. There is clearly a connection building. Yeah. You can see what he works hard at it, doesn't he? You know, he, t he talks yeah. about them not being numbers at one point. Doesn't even, my players aren't numbers. Like he said in Spain, yeah. some coaches feel like a player is a number. Um, and he talked about that. And I think he has worked really hard to cultivate the kind of dressing room environment that he thinks is a positive one. Mm. But I think as well, the thing about Arteta, and this is my sort of slight, what's the word? Um, this is my impression rather than something I know as a fact. But it seems like he also has the capacity to kind of turn the tap of that emotion off mm. very swiftly when required. And that, I've had a little look further ahead um, via preview of, of episodes four and five, which deal with kind of the Aubameyang situation and go a bit further into that than I thought they might. And mm. it's interesting to see kind of the other side of that coin. You know, he's someone who's all about emotion, all about connection. But when he needs to be cold, mm. I think he absolutely has that capacity as well. Mm. Um, okay. Which I guess, I guess is useful. But 
Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the next three uh, when they drop. Um, and as I said, there is a, a longer podcast over on Patreon right now. You can have a, a listen to that. Um, you know, obviously, it includes spoilers and in inverted commas, but look, we all were there last season. We saw what happened. We know uh, how it happened. Spo- so, spoiler, we don't get so Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's not quite a whodunit, is it? Um, uh-huh. Let me just uh, do this before we get on with the questions. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Where is it gone? For goodness sake. Uh, there it is. Uh, okay. It comes from Mr. Black Squid on the Discord. He says, uh, Goodly morning. Not a question, really. But I notice you two never remember whose turn it is to ask the first question. So last season, I kept track. Um, Andrew, 29. James, 13. Tyo, 1. Plus or minus a few. And he says, needless to say, I think it's James's turn to ask the first question. I think you're overdue a, a few firsts here. So please be my guest. The thing is, what you have to realise, listeners, is that neither of us want to go first because that means we have to have something prepared. So uh, it's this not is, real. Is, it's sort of... Um, that's all or nothing kind of insight. It's a poison there, chalice. Yeah. Uh, okay. We had a, a, quite a lot of questions about substitutions. Mm. So James, who's on Twitter at the Arsenal Times, says, "Good morning. Uh, I know it's or afternoon. I know it is only the first game, but are you concerned with the timing of the substitutions? Thought they came really late, and personally, also think Sambi and Eddie could have made a difference earlier. An area for me, Arteta has to improve on. And then just to sort of to add to that, Hugh Carpenter said, "Goodly morning. Do you think the lack of changes until 83 minutes tells us we're still short of quality?" outside the favoured 12 or 13. Obviously, Tierney was a fitness thing, but if we had more genuine like-for-like replacements on the bench, would we have seen changes earlier? Mm, that kind of goes back to the the, Point the discussion were we were making part um, yeah. in part one, where you're looking at the bench going, well, what do I do? Like, you don't bring Pepe on. What was on. the bench? Let's have a look. Can, can we have a look? Yeah, um, we can have a look here. So the bench was uh, Turner as a goalkeeper, mm-hmm. Tierney holding... Cedric, Cedric uh, Sambi, Nelson, Elneny, Pepe, and Ketia. Yeah. So I was looking at it thinking, you know, particularly when we got to about the hour mark and Palace were very much on top, I was looking at it going, what should he do? What should he do to change it? Mm. Um, because I wonder if he was like, well, we're relatively comfortable. We're dealing with them pretty well defensively, um, even if we're not necessarily creating a lot. So what what do you do? I mean, do you take off Bakayo Saka and put on Pepe at 1-0 away from home? I don't think that's the change. I don't think no. that's the change to make. I was thinking, uh, in the stands, I found myself wondering about a kind of third central midfield player. Yeah. Maybe at the expense of Odegaard. That, that was what I was thinking watching it. Um, yeah just felt like a, a battle we weren't on top of yeah but i do i do think there was it the first question or the second question that asked like um do we have enough quality or is there enough qual- like for like replacements that was the I, second question I, yeah. I, yeah and i think that is um i think that's the key part as i said if you'd had Vieira, if you'd had smith row i think you might be more willing to make a, an earlier change I think the changes that we did make actually had an impact 
you know, when you look at the second goal, we didn't, we didn't really... One. I do did, think they had a big impact. Yeah. yeah. Why, I don't, why is Kieran Tierney lurking around in the sort of centre forward uh, position? Because it's a long ball from, I think it's Ramsdale. You know, we have the ball at the back and Ramsdale um, plays it long to Kieran Tierney. I'm just going to see if I can... I'm just going to see if I can get it up here again. Um, Yeah, we're playing around with the ball. Tierney has it. We go backwards, I think, and it ends up with... Yeah, Tierney's got it. He's pointing backwards. He's on the halfway line and he's making a run forward. And now the ball's gone back to Ramsdale... Who's had a look, sees Tierney, who's still in the opposition half, yeah. nods it down, and then of course it comes to Shaka uh, to Enkedia to Saka, and then that forces the own goal. And Eddie, you know, does well to spread it wide, and you know maybe a little lucky on on the on the own goal. But you know it was one of the one of the most threatening aspects of of the second half from an Arsenal perspective. So the yeah. two substitutes made an impact. Um, should we have made them earlier? I don't know. I mean, I I don't quite know what else he could have done. I don't think Odegaard had his best game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but you do fancy him to be able to make a pass as and when you might need one if you do get a bit more possession. So I think he was probably just holding on to see if we could change the momentum ourselves. And then when we didn't, you're looking at it going... Maybe we just only have late subs here. So I do I, I do think there's room for more quality on the bench, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and, and some of that will come back with injury. You know, even as, as well as we think Ben White acquitted himself, the fact that he was on a booking, if Tommy Astor had been fit and you could have brought him on, you know, just to give you a bit of extra security, you might well have done yeah. it on that right-hand side. That's another um, aspect of Ben White's performance, by the way, that, um, you know, he dealt well with, with the booking. Yeah, true. Um, true. So. And then... Um, Tierney for Zinchenko was a really, I think, good change to make. Mm -hmm. You know, a better one-on-one defender probably and brought some energy. I thought Eddie looked sharp actually when he came on, um, as he has done throughout pre-season. And, you know, again, gave us some energy in the front line, which we needed. Um, So the changes worked well. I do think it is surprising on the sort of first day of the reintroduction of five subs to get to 83 minutes without one. Mm. And like you, I do think it speaks to maybe a slight lack of faith in in those guys on the bench. I mean, I'm hopeful that, you know, when we get our players back, we won't feel that way. But, um, mm. you know, and Arteta's pretty clear as well that there's still potentially some work to be done in the transfer market. So that could help as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking, you know, this season when we're in a position like this, you know, one nil away from home is a good position to be in. Like, I don't necessarily want to see the Rob Holding substitution too much. No, but it's I, kind of encouraging that it didn't come to that. That's what I, I mean. Think. Because I, when it, when I was thinking of changes, I was going, like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do that? Is he going to put, you know, at 80 minutes, is he just going to put Rob Holding on and hang on to it? Whereas, you know, Tierney for Zinchenko, like for like, Eddie for Gabriel Jesus, like for like, in terms of position. So you're not necessarily making yourself more defensive. I don't think we made ourselves particularly more offensive um, or or added to the attack, but I I think that there might be times where we do, um, where we do, uh, what am I trying to say here? Where maybe we just throw on another 
attacking player or two to try and change the momentum yeah. of a game. I mean, like you say, it's not like Tierney sat in. You know, he he was still pushing forward. Mm. Um, I do think there might have been a case to have Jesus and Nketiah because because Palace were playing. Mm so effectively out of the back, you know, it might have been worth having two strikers just really from a, almost from a defensive perspective. Um, but anyway, look, he made the changes he did. I was uh, a little bit surprised actually that he brought Jesus off. I know he'd got through a lot of work. Yeah. It was that great moment where he won the ball on the right-hand side, sort of chasing a lost cause and Arsenal probably should have made more of that opportunity. Um, but, you know, I, I thought the subs helped. I would have, probably made a change a little bit earlier if I was in charge and but I'm not yeah yeah um, well look you know like you say when we're talking about improving the level of performance something Mikel Arteta will undoubtedly want you know I think when you can go into a game and identify okay there's still work to do and we know there's still work to do but you know where where it becomes quite obvious that you're missing something from the bench to be able to um, acknowledge that after a 2-0 win is a good thing rather than saying fuck that not having that player really cost us you know what I mean True. so True. so it's a good thing um, this one comes from Anon uh, okay. on the discord I don't know who he is um, he says goodly morning chaps you've both got dogs and have yes. probably tried a few different training techniques how best well, do you think Mikel Arteta can teach Martin Odegaard to shoot when he's one on one with the <laughs> he needs a clicker <laughs> uh, and every time Arteta clicks it uh, shoot. Oh, shoot and you'll probably be hearing that in a 6,000 seat stadium I mean I've just seen that again actually while we were talking I was sort of scrubbing through the highlights and I was at the other end of the pitch to it mm. uh, he really 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 should have taken that shot on I know it's kind of pure Arsenal to not um, you know it's uh, memories of Mesut Ozil and Alexander Kleb and many other predecessors but I, I want to see Odegaard shooting there and taking that responsibility on. I think he's good enough. I think he has the technique. And I think I think given the position that he plays and the role in the team, he needs to be thinking about his numbers, you know, looking mm. at his, his goals and assists this season and trying to get those up in the double figures. Mm. Um, I, I think he should. I'm watching it back here. I don't think his first touch is the best. I don't think unusual. the pass is as good as it could be. Yeah, like, I right. think if you're Gabriel Jesus, you should be playing that pass onto Martin Odegaard's left foot, knowing he's left-footed player, and, and playing it across him so he can basically take a one, a first-time shot. Mm. Um, I don't think he did that. I don't think Odegaard's touch was quite what it should have been. Um, and then he was obviously trying to just uh, play it back for, for Martinelli, uh, who was looking for it there. Um, but yeah, look... I think one of the things about Martin Odegaard that has improved in recent, uh, or certainly last season, was A, the amount of goals, and B, the amount of shots he took, and the the number of times he got into the box in that position. So uh, I don't have a huge concern over it. Like I said, I don't think he had his best game um, uh, on, on Friday night, but uh, I'm sure he will do better in situations like that. Uh, yeah, it is also slightly in his nature to kind of, to pick the more technically secure route to goal you know mm. like I think he would if he fe feels like getting a touch and playing a pass here creates a better opportunity he is kind of inclined to do that rather than take a swing with his right foot or whatever it might be um, I don't know if that is going to come out of his game I think it, it's kind of partly who he is um, but yeah 
listen, I, I thought he had a, a quite a difficult night. And something I wondered was kind of, I found myself in game thinking, like, I wonder if the armband makes any difference in Arteta's decision making about substitutions. Um, one would hope not and imagine not. And Odegaard did eventually come off, right, for Sambi. So mm. um, you'd imagine not. But I, d- I did just find myself wondering that because I was looking at it thinking, he's probably the player I'd bring off, but he's also the captain. Is that a conflict? Yeah. I hope it isn't, basically. No, I, d- I don't think so. I think, you know, ultimately, whoever's wearing the armband, he will make the right decision. Well, what he feels is the uh, the right decision, um, you know, for the team in the context of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the players will, will understand that as well. We had a question, actually. Um, I can't find it. Uh, typically, I can't find it. But it was basically like, do you make anything of the fact that Xhaka was given the armband? when Odegaard went off. Yeah, I do make something of it. I think, um, well, I, I just think Shaka is part of the leadership group, you know? And mm. so he was one of the natural choices. Um, but there is a significance. You know, you can't uh, help but notice it happened against Crystal Palace uh, as well. I know he's done it once or twice since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Crystal Palace was obviously the team where he lost it. I think... Uh, I, I, I don't think it's anything hugely um, noteworthy, but clearly mm. he is, you know, uh, he's part of that group, uh, if not the actual guy with the armband week in, week out. And that speaks to his kind of continued rehabilitation, mm. I guess. Okay. Um, question? Oh, what about this? Hertolf says... How good is the new Zinchenko song, and why is it the greatest ever? <laughs> I did like I did like that because I was I was listening, uh, you know, on the TV. I was going, "Are they? Is that, I know that song. Are they singing that for Zinchenko? Oh, yeah, I like it. Um, it is good. I like when a, a song just sort of appears out of nowhere. Uh, you know the way, like, um, you see stuff on Twitter, or you might get the occasional email um, where somebody says this would be an amazing song for yeah. the player. And they've sort of written out the entire lyrics for yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, but you know, it's somehow related to a footballer and it, it's never going to work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they very rarely do. Um, but that just sort of popped up out of nowhere and it sounds great, doesn't it? It really does sound great. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know if Manchester City sang it. I certainly hadn't heard it before if they did. And did you see Martin Kemp, uh, who I think is an Arsenal fan, Yes, um, did a little video of him singing it as well, which was good. Yeah, it was. Um, Let me see. Is it my question? It is. I think it is. Okay. Uh, One from Tristan on the Discord. He said, with fans having more resources like this podcast for quality analysis and discussion, thank you very much, uh, it seems like punditry is falling behind. Pundits aren't as educated on each team's finer details and end up saying things that make us all go, or maybe that Bakayo Saka noise. Hmm? uh, for example, saying Odegaard isn't a typical captain when we know he really is. What do you think is the solution? Or are we just going to keep getting punditry that doesn't make sense? Hmm. Well, to be fair to them, I I, I take their point on Odegaard. It, it you know, depends on what your definition of a typical yeah, captain is. Yeah, I think is, this right? is more just sort of a general point. Yeah, know? I think in general, I understand. Basically, it's impossible, isn't it? for a pundit to be as clued in as 
someone who is obsessed <laughs> mm. as we are with the fine detail of our club and our team. Yeah. Um, and so I'm pretty sympathetic to that position. And I do think like the limited contact I've had with somebody like Jamie Carragher, I do think that he actually does work quite hard to get to that detail as far as he can. Um, and, you know, try and understand what the fans are thinking, but also what the team are doing in games they're not seeing. Um, but it's it's not really, it's never going to be as in-depth. But I think what you have to remember is the audience is so different. It's a bit like what we were saying about All or Nothing. You know, the mm. general football-watching audience aren't watching Arsenal week in, week out either. And so these things, as much as they annoy us, the millions of people who are tuning in just, you know, casually, it's not grating for them. Yeah, um, yeah. And I guess they're being catered to more than us. And that's why there is a place in all this for fan media or more specific detailed coverage um, because, you know, it, it's a different audience. Yeah, and look, I, I, I think I understand as well from a specific fan perspective, whether you're an Arsenal fan or a Liverpool fan or whatever, and you hear a pundit or a commentator say something that just doesn't ring true. Yeah. You know, there is an element of, look, you've got a very good job here. I'm not talking about just some kind of washed up Spurs twat who ends up on talk sport. I think we all understand that the level of discourse is going to be, um, you know. That's designed to be inflammatory. Yeah. You know? And stupid. Um, by its very nature. But I think when somebody is, you know, one of the main pundits on something like Sky Sports, that's a well-paid gig. Um, and maybe the best pundits or the ones who come across best are the ones who, who do their research a bit more, yeah. who maybe reach out to fans of a club that they're covering that weekend to ask about certain things or, or, you know, find out what the mood is about this, that, or the other, mm, you know? Mm, mm. Um, so I think there is an onus when you're in a very well-paid position uh, to do the best job you can possibly do. Some of them will just take the money and just waffle. Uh, others will, you know, actually um, spend time to try and do the best job that they can. Um, and that, I think, comes down to each individual as much as anything. So Yeah, absolutely. And I think, in a way... Like, as frustrating as it is for everyone, in a way, um, it means that, you know, people who are more, what's the word, um, specialists, mm. that it, it creates a need for that. So, you yeah. know, I, I'm not going to complain too much because, you know, that's sort of where we sit, I guess. Yes. As, as pretentious as that might sound, to call ourselves specialists. But I mean more in terms no, of I know. Yeah, just Yeah, the exactly. Exactly. Um, bum, bum, bum. Oh, what about this? James Palmwell, it's a little bit, you know, sideways, but I think it's interesting. How good a manager is Patrick Vieira? Do you think he'll get a job at a top-tier club someday? I mean, he might. He might. Mm. He seems, you know, uh, again, to sort of hark back to my conversations with um, Dan from HLTCO, mm. loves him. Absolutely yeah, loves him. Yeah, do love him at Palace. Loves the impact that he's had on the team, the way it plays, um, but but also what he does at the football club and how involved he is at every level, you know? Um, 
it's he's, been great with like their community projects yeah. and stuff like that. He's really engaged at sort of grassroots yeah. level. Um, you know, we know he was an amazing player. We know as well that amazing players don't always make amazing managers, but that's not a, a hard and fast rule by any means. Um, I mean, I think he's doing a very good job at Crystal Palace. Um, I, don't, I don't know what exactly or how far he can take them, but I think it speaks to the job that he's doing. Um, you know, when, when we were thinking about this game beforehand, we were, you know, we're not taking anything for granted. There was a, a measure of worry as well, wasn't there? Because we saw what they did to us last season. We know what they're capable of. And that in many ways is down to the way the manager has them working. So if we have that sort of fear in our minds, it, it, it suggests that Patrick Vieira is doing a very good job there. Um, I, I think there's probably a ceiling. There's always going to be a ceiling with a club like Palace. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to them in any way. But there probably is, just based on the resources and what you're fighting against, there's probably only so far you can go with a club like that. You know, there's only so high you can take them. Um, I guess it's then down to other clubs, perhaps with more potential, to say, well, look what he's done there. Can he translate that? at our club into getting us, you know, further up the table or, or, you know, the success that we want. But look, I think he's doing a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, when you're doing it in the Premier League, you know, people take notice. They really do take notice because of the the spotlight and the money and the players that are in the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, think, I think he's doing a very good job. I mean, what do you reckon? I think he's got a chance, definitely. I think um, I could see it, you know, him getting a good job. I could see... A world where he could get a job at Arsenal one day. It's hard because the fortunes of managers can change so quickly and their reputation can rise or fall mm. very swiftly too. But he's got a very good grounding. He was part of that kind of city group, um, you know, after his time with Man City, working in the sort of youth New York, there, yeah. and then going out to New York, yeah. I think he did, uh, you know, they spoke very highly of his coaching in America. He did okay in France, a bit of a mixed spell, but he, st he seems to have made a real impact at Palace. He's, he's still a very uh, commanding figure. You know, we used that word of William Saliba, but yeah, you know, I was in Patrick Vieira's press conference the other day and he's, he's absolutely still got that presence. Um, and, you know, he's a winner. He's a winner as a player. He was absolutely a winner and incredibly motivated and determined and driven. And I think he takes that into his management career. So I would never count against him. Yeah. And such a history at Arsenal as well. And I do think that um, that contributes, you know, that can be a yeah. factor. Of in course. any appointment. Of course, because, you you know, if you're going to go to a big club, maybe you need to understand a big club as well. Um, yeah. Not saying it's, it's absolutely necessary, but it might factor into the thinking of, you know, somebody who's looking to hire him and, and saying, you know, these are these are the standards that, that we expect at this club. So, look, I hope he does a great job at Palace and, you know, uh, gets them as, as um, high up the table as he can and, 
Yeah. Uh, it I, takes I points think off all the other... All the other big teams, exactly. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, a couple of 4-0 wins over Tottenham would be great. So I'll be rooting for him for a while now because it'll be yeah. a while till we play him again. We'll leave that in your capable hands, Patrick, uh, if you're listening, which of course you're not. Um, let, let's have a, a couple on this particular subject. Um Ian Wright, who's at IH Wright on Twitter. Sure. Not that Ian Wright who um, is just taking time out of his day to take the piss out of Lord Amstrad. Um, he said, I think everyone likes the player, but have we all made a too easy assumption that the centre back pairing this season will uh, the centre back pairing this season will settle on Gabriel plus one other? And on the Discord, there's a question from Sullyball2 who says, while he's often impressive in general play, I feel like Gabriel is a critical mistake away every game. Is Arteta wedded to a left-footed centre-back, or could we see a white-Saliba partnership in the future? I'd certainly like to see us try that when Tommy is back. Mm. I did wonder about that, I have to say. Um... I, th- I thought part of what, what, what I thought was quite interesting about the the Ben White thing in general. And I know he sort of, when he plays centre-back, he plays right centre-back and Saliba's at right centre-back. So there's an immediate like, um, well, he's in your position now, tough luck, son. Um, What I did think was quite interesting was there was no real discussion of like, well, what if it's Gabriel that makes way when Tommy Asu is fit again and we, we play a back four, which I don't think is a ridiculous idea. No. I don't think it is either. I think he is quite wedded to the idea of a left-footed centre-back. But I do wonder if the arrival of Zinchenko, who is so good building play out of that sort of area of the pitch, might slightly uh, reduce the necessity. Um, I think it's possible. I really am relaxed about the centre-backs and sort of who ends up playing. Yeah. I'm, sh- I- I'm sure people will have their favourites and be disappointed if they're not the ones who make the cut. But I just think they're all going to play plenty of football, to be honest with you. I agree. We had another question there is like, you know, what, what's your choice between Tierney and Zinchenko? And it's like... You know what? We don't have I, to I, choose, I, really. Yeah, I, 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 there might be games where Zinchenko is a better choice than Tierney, depending on the opposition. But like you, I'm just relaxed that we've got two good players. Similarly, with the centre halves, you know, to have three of the caliber of White, Saliba, and Gabriel, good. I, I like it. And if somebody, somebody fucks up or somebody loses form, we've got somebody who can take their place. That's yeah, kind I mean, of the way. It I goes. guess I kind of feel like at the moment the four that started against Palace. Um, are likely to stay in possession just because I don't see anyone else being immediately ready to knock on the door. Tommy Asti played 45 minutes, didn't he, yesterday mm. for the under-21s. Um, Tierney obviously got 10 minutes against Palace, but I'm not sure I see either starting against Leicester. Um, so these are the guys with the shirts, and I think mm. that you know they've got a good chance of holding on to them for, for this opening period of the season. But things, things change. I mean, you know, you're reminded of it watching All or Nothing. Nuno Tavares came into the team and played, what was it, half a dozen games, maybe more than that, with Kieran Tierney on the bench. Yeah, the and discussion. I, like, I, yeah. 
Arsenal were winning those games. Yeah. Do you remember we had on the podcast is like, is this it now for Kieran Tierney? Yeah, yeah sure, you know. sure. And, and, and I think um, if White continues to do well at right back, people will probably say, raise question about Tommy Asu, but Tommy Asu was one of Arsenal's best players last season. I'm sure his time is going to come and he's going to contribute to this team. Um, do I think long-term, like looking beyond this season, there might be a question about the centre-halves and if they all want to stay, if they're not absolutely first choice, maybe, maybe. I, I, I do think that, you know, I know it's something a lot of fans are talking about, but Saliba's contract is an interesting mm. focus now. I mean, especially after that performance. You know, he could have a very big few months here where... He could play a lot of football for Arsenal. He could go to the World Cup with France. France have got arguably the most talented squad in that World Cup. They could do very well indeed. You know, if he gets to January, yeah, <laughs> a World Cup winner and regular at Arsenal with 18 months left on his contract, he's in a very, very strong position. And the club <laughs> are in a, uh, a vulnerable one, shall we say. Yeah, sure. So if I was the club, I'd be... I'd be trying to accelerate that, especially while he's in the team and while he's playing and while he's feeling good. You know, let's at least protect ourselves mm. on that front. Yeah. Um, but in terms of who plays, yeah, I'd like to see a Saliba and White partnership. And I'm sure at some point in the season we will. I know we get very attached to this idea of he's a right-sided centre-back and he's a left-sided centre-back. But I'm sure that a decade ago, or slightly more than that, it, there was a lot more flexibility about these things. And I, I don't doubt that they mm. could do that job, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, have you got one more? Uh, I don't know if I do, actually, really. So if you've yeah, we've got covered a one, lot. go for it. Um, I thought this one was, um, again, it's not really um, about the game or anything like that, but Big Sven uh, on the Discord says, would love to know your Sven thoughts. Sven Mislintat. Big Sven. I don't know if it's Sven Mislintat or Sven Joran Eriksson or Sven Svensson from Sweden. Okay. Um, he said, I really enjoyed last night's game, uh, or Friday night's game, uh, the battle and the win, but also the refereeing. The game flowed much more than normal. I wasn't even annoyed Xhaka was booked for diving. The league has been getting so stop-start every season, and last year's officiating was the worst. Have the league turned a corner? Are the refs going to use common sense and let men play football and book actors? It'll never be perfect, but if it continues like last night, I'd be very happy. Yeah, I mean, I, th I felt like the referee let quite a lot go. I, I thought there were other refs who would have brought out more yellow cards on the night than, than mm. the referee did. You know, there was a couple earlier on where the, the home crowd were really on the ref's back to, like, book Jesus or book White. Mm. And he resisted until Shaka. That was the first booking, right? Um, just before half time, the dive. Um, which, you know, probably was a dive, did you think? I think it probably, it's one of those where he was definitely anticipating more yeah. uh, contact. I think he could have not booked him, to be honest. I like, think so, particularly as Eze had one, there was one in the second half where he very clearly made the same, like, come on, get up, get up, get up thing. You know what, I think it might just take a time, a bit of time for us to adjust to certain things because, look, I will, I will say this. In my own mind, I want Arsenal players to be able to go out and smash the shit out of the opposition, 
you know, fairly, but hard, you know. Yeah. But as soon as anyone touches any one of our players, even slightly, I want a free kick. Sure. That's yes, I have just, noticed that. <laughs> yeah, that is, <laughs> that is just who I am. So there are going to be times where this season I'm going to get furious when the referee lets some relatively innocuous contact go probably quite rightly, um, in order to let the game flow. So I might have to just recalibrate my brain a little. I suppose this will all just come down to consistency. Like, are they all going to do this? Is one referee going to do it more strictly than another? Is another referee just going to turn football into rollerball? You know, we're going to see maimings and all kinds. You know, that will be the thing, I think, that will continue to frustrate fans. But that's refereeing for you. It was such a big narrative last season, the officiating. And, um, yeah, if it isn't, then that will feel like dramatic progress. Yeah. And we didn't really have anything to say about the official in this game of any great note. So I would consider that a success. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, we'll we'll see how that plays on. Um, right, we're going to leave it there. James and I will have a waffle for you on Wednesday. Wednesday. So if you're on Patreon, you can join us for that. We'll send out the call for your waffle questions uh, during the week as well. But we do have something a bit special to finish off the show today. Um, do you want to expand on this a little bit before I hit play? Well, just, uh, just uh, you remember last week yeah. I mentioned that... Um, Somebody on Twitter, uh, Johnny, uh, had sent me the lyrics to a, a reworked version of North London Forever uh, called Fuck Magpies Forever. <laughs> and after Arsenal started the season in such good form, you know, with the result that we all hoped for, I thought it only appropriate that I lay that track down. So that will that will play you out. That will this, play us out, yes. You've given the people what they really want. They've sat through 90 sure. minutes of inane football chatter in order to hear... <laughs> Um, what I think, you know, and I said this to you last night, is is your most complete vocal performance ever. So it's moving. It's very moving. <laughs> I hope people enjoy it. Thank you as always for being here. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. I want to thank Johnny, who's at Fruit All Sorts on Twitter, who wrote these lyrics and sent them in. And I want to thank a YouTube channel called Carto Guitar from which I stole the backing track. As I walk these streets alone through this borough I call home down my spine I feel a shiver there should be more hens on the river through the turnstiles of the angel I think I'm safe at last but I hear the wings are beating and they're beating fucking fast seek refuge in all the buildings and the offy on the corner my knowledge is the logical and the prefix is awning a wren, a hawk, a blue tit are watching from the side seeking solace from their sorrows sheltering in a bird hide through the madness in the market people look into the skies watch what you are doing cause they'll peck out your eyes little Rosie approaches one she doesn't have a clue that his heart is as black as his feathers and his shoes down towards the Emirates I spot a ticket out try giving him a warning by shouting mate watch out from the Thornhill to the Hemi I know what the people lack everyone will be running scared unless they've got some magpie facts fuck magpies forever they're black and white feathers I much prefer Now
weeks will forever make me feel cold. Oh, fuck. Fucking hell. He makes that look easy, Louis Dumford. God, fuck my boys. <laughs>